0: you're about to get lucky with the Bare Naked Money podcast, the show that gives you the naked truth about personal finance with your hosts, Josh Shelleck and Colin White, Portfolio Managers with WLWP Wealth Planners, IA Private Wealth. Welcome everybody to the next episode of Bare Naked Money. Josh and I are going to have a conversation today. Josh introduced something called DeFi and I thought it was a new wrapper or something, but apparently it's actually something in the finance world that come to Understand means decentralized finance and it's become a catchword, a catchphrase, a catch thing. So can you tell me what the heck this is? So I also need to start with a bit
1: of a preemptive mea culpa because neither of us are experts on this topic. I find it fascinating. I find it interesting. I find it intriguing. There's a whole lot going on with this DeFi thing that I don't understand, that you don't understand. I don't think... 99.9% 99.9% of people don't understand, but we're going to try to unpack some of it today. And it's something that we're just going to keep an eye on because it's something that's, that, like I said, is very fascinating and potentially has some implications for the future of finance, the future of transactions, the future of money.
0: And I'd like to add a disclaimer at this point. If you're expecting a light, easy to consume, something that's going to help you make decisions in your life in the next 10, 15, 20 years. You should stop now because this isn't that. Uh, this is going to be pretty much as geeky as we've ever gotten. And you're going to have to have a really, a really int- real big interest in, in really obscure things to enjoy the rest of this. But if you want to stay with us, let's go for it. You want to learn something new too. And
1: so here, I'm going to kick it off with this. and using a line from John Oliver. And he said, so cryptocurrencies are one Aspect of DeFi or decentralized finance, and John said about John Oliver said about cryptocurrencies. This is everything you don't understand about money combined with everything you don't understand about computers, which I think sums it up incredibly <laughs> well. So he, let's just he has a de- gift, yeah. Let's just unpack this whole. This, let Let's start with the acronym, if we can call it that, of DeFi. So decentralized finance, decentralized. So what does that mean? So it means that there's no official intermediary and it's a way to exchange digital assets with no official intermediary. So it's not like you're walking into a bank and I want to give money to Colin. I hand the money over to my banker. The banker transfers that money to to Colin. This is a way for us Colin and I or whoever else in the world to exchange money or something, some type of asset digitally entirely over computer infrastructure. And without any intermediary, so there's no individual or institution in between us validating that this transaction is actually taking
0: place. So in the words of of the hippies of my generation, this is about getting rid of the man. (laughs) That's a good way to put it.
1: (laughs) And the the man takes some, uh, his cut along the way. So there is some valid reason for getting rid of the man.
0: Oh, we've never trusted the man. Like for generations, we've never trusted him. So if this is going to get rid of him, apparently I'm in favor.
1: Yeah. So the man has done some good things to us, but probably taken uh, a little bit more than his fair share along the way as well. So this is where we're getting to the decentralized part. So finance. So how does finance come into play? Cryptocurrencies, fairly obvious, right? You're exchanging money between one person or the other, but the finance aspect, it actually is a broader concept or broader term than just cryptocurrencies. If you've heard of NFTs or non-fungible tokens, that is a way of, of enacting decentralized finance. If you've heard about blockchain, blockchain is the infrastructure that all of this works on. If you've heard of stablecoins or Bitcoin or Ether or Ethereum or any of these things, these are all concepts of decentralized finance where you're exchanging an asset entirely digitally entirely over computers and one important aspect of this is that there is some validation going on it's not just hey i'm sending you this money Colin, directly over the computer there is some validation going on in a decentralized way and we can use a bunch of really complicated words like algorithms or cryptography but the bottom line is there's a number of computers out there on the internet that are validating that you actually have the money that you're sending me and I actually have the money that I'm sending you in return.
0: So it's, it doesn't have a centralized point is your point, Josh. It is decentralized. You got it. You got it. So
1: let's just unpack
0: this using
1: a practical example. And the one thing that I've heard this described of as is as more like a barter economy. So it's... Re- We've come full circle where we moved hundreds of years ago from a barter economy to this current world where we have fiat money or currency or my Canadian dollars that I exchange for just about everything in my life that I want. Going back to this type of barter economy where I don't necessarily need these Canadian dollars anymore to, to make transactions. So let's go back to this few hundred years ago example where you and I met at the market and you said we've got this piece of gold. And I'm going to exchange it for this chicken. I'm going to give you this chicken. You give me some gold back because I've been harvesting these chickens over at my farm. And although the person or you as uh, the vendor would take my piece of gold, my little shilling or whatever it was and bite on it just to make sure that, it, oh yeah, this, is, this feels like real gold. I'll take your, your coin. I'll take your gold coin. That exchange, the, the validation that that's real gold is now happening with these computers, these algorithms in the background. So same type of concept, but maybe a little bit more futuristic than it was in the past. And similarly with that chicken that you're giving me, there's something in the background that's validating that, yeah, this is a real chicken. I've seen it lay eggs. So this could be your neighbor that you come over that is a third party that is saying, hey, yeah, I've seen that, that chicken lay eggs. It's a legitimate chicken. It's an egg bearing chicken. So that's your 300 years ago comparison to what we're going through today.
0: So what you're saying, Josh, is that we had something that 300 years ago we found to be problematic. And we evolved past that stage to a new stage. And we got to the new stage and we said, let's go back to where we started from. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of the new apps that have come out where you can do voice to text and then text back to voice. <laughs> so we've gone from having a phone where you call somebody to a better technology where we get to text each other. And then it's turned itself back into almost a phone where you leave voice messages for each other. And is treated as, oh my goodness, look at this wonderful new technology.
1: <laughs> yeah. I can't text when I'm driving. So I use my voice to convert it to text, which. Somebody on the other end driving and say, like, oh, I can't read this while I'm driving. So their vehicle reads it out to them. All, and so we could have had this conversation
0: just over the phone. Yeah. It, it yeah. kind of strikes me. There's, there's some learning similarities in the way you're yep. describing this, Josh.
1: Yeah. And, and I'd say you're probably right there, Colin. I think the interesting thing is well, one of the, the reasons why we evolved to actually use a, a common currency to exchange everything is because. Maybe I came to the market with a chicken and you didn't want a chicken. And then I was like, who's going to take my chicken? I can't find anyone here to take my chicken. And that was a bit of a problem. With this whole decentralized finance thing, there's now, whatever, 7 billion people in the world. And theoretically, I could exchange my chicken, digital chicken, if it were, for just about anything else in the world with anybody else in the world, if as long as they're connected to a network somewhere. So it's like a barter economy on a pretty massive scale.
0: Yeah, and and if you're really good at taking cats and putting chicken suits on them, yeah, you could find a whole new market for cats.
1: Hey, this is where that that algorithm comes into play to validate that I'm getting a real chicken. I'm not getting a cat disguised as a chicken or a chicken disguised as a cat or something else in between. Fair enough. (laughs) But okay, so let's bring this back to center here. There's probably some practical applications of this today, don't you think, Cole?
0: Oh, the idea, and and I guess the real, in my opinion, that the real complaint is that the middleman seems to take a disproportionate share as things go through. It's a friction, it's an expense, it's unnecessarily cumbersome. And if you just take a look from, you have two people are doing a normal transaction and somebody's standing in between, and it seems to be a real simple transaction that two people agree on, and there's this friction in between them or this time delay or some of these other frustrations, those frustrations are real. And honestly, a lot of the financial system hasn't kept up with how, how quickly or, or efficiently things could be done because there's stakeholders. There's people who've, you know, made their living as a middle thing, middle person, middle woman, middle man, whatever however you want to describe it. You know, they put themselves in a position to perform this function and they got a business model based on that and they've got shareholders and they've made investments. So. You know, the, the first rule of any organism, which includes organizations, is self-preservation. They're going to carve out as much as they can get away with carving out. And, and, and I think that's what largely what's driven this movement or, or created a, a market or an audience for this kind of conversation. And I, I think that's what this is looking to address. And I think only the fullness of time will find out how effective this is or, or how real this is. Because there's lots of things that that, that I complain about. And, you know, we on the east coast are known for being good complainers, but there's an old ancient, you know, Chinese proverb, or at least that's how it was related to me. If there's no solution, there can be no problem. So sometimes it's just the way things are, but this is what DeFi is attacking. In my opinion, this is what DeFi is going after it is to say, Hey, are these institutions that are put in place, are they really necessary? Are they, is there a case to be made for them? And they're going to let the market as to whether or not there's enough attraction in these various things.
1: Yeah, so a couple things that I've heard described or explained as right for disruption with this DeFi approach is one, art. So the art world, actually, this is real art, right? I'm not talking about the digital art, which also who uses this whole idea of decentralized finance quite extensively, but real art, it's tough these days. and maybe always has been tough for an artist to sell their painting or their sculpture or their drawing or whatever it is because it's just a business that's plagued by middle people. They're, they're taking a cut every, everywhere along the way. So if you could, let's say, exchange art between two people where the transaction was validated, we said, yes, there actually is this, whatever it is, Canadian dollars, US dollars, Bitcoin, or something else is, is coming one way. And a real legitimate piece of art that's validated, that is 100% true and and proof that is real is going the other way. Can we do that and eliminate these middlemen and maybe keep more money in both people's pockets? So that's one area where we could see some disruption. Simple wire payments. I don't know if you've been to a bank to send a wire payment recently, but it costs $100 to send a wire payment. So I can send an email transfer for free. I can do a bill payment for free. Why are you charging me $100 to literally spend about 10 seconds, the teller at the bank, doing this transaction from one person to the other? We can definitely do this electronically with some non-intermediary validating that this is a legitimate transaction. It's got to be possible today. And something that's really close to home for us, Colin, stock exchanges. So when you sell a stock, a lot of people probably don't realize this. A stock or mutual fund or exchange traded fund, there's what's called a two-day settlement period when you sell this. So I sell it, that money is not available to me until two days, two business days from the time that I actually process that sell. So why does that exist? That exists because financial institutions, my financial institution that I invest and trade with needs to send money to another financial institution and needs to send. stock to another financial institution for whoever bought that that security that stock that mutual fund or that exchange traded fund and in the past in the good old days i'll call it they used to have somebody on a bicycle that used to get on the bike and pedal his bike from one financial institution to the other and back and this is how bay street and wall street operated back in the day so Back then, they had a three-day settlement period, which made a whole lot of sense because it takes a while for one guy on one bike to go through all these financial institutions. But today, this two-day settlement period, why does it exist? I'm not really entirely sure, aside from that it's always been done that way.
0: No, Josh, that's easy now there, whippersnapper. It, it, it wasn't a guy on a bicycle when they had 3 Three days settlement. was like six months ago, all right? Like in my career, we had three-day settlement. So it wasn't like like, like six months ago.
1: Three-day settlement was invented because they needed to actually transact this stuff. So the guy on the bicycle was not three, three, six months ago, or I think it was three or four years ago that they changed from a three-day settlement to a two-day settlement. But it had been a three-day settlement
0: for a long period of time, even though we had all these electronic means available to us. This is where we can speak to this with a lot more authority because it's right in our wheelhouse. What happened was that the intermediary in the middle, as things got more efficient, was able to hold onto the money for a couple of days and it became part of their business model. Now, all you, you people out there rejoicing about, you know, free trading. One of the reasons you get free trading is part of what's going on in the background. There's your money sits there for a couple of days. And that's the another one of the reasons i like to see you being really active because every one of your trades has got the two-day settlement on it. So the quicker you turn your account, the longer they get to keep holding the cash for a couple of days, you know what? And it's one of those ones that it's not a whole lot, especially with interest rates being low, but they make money on it. So it's baked into the system. So if you take away the two day settlement, it's going to put pressure on business models. And what you may find to the critics out there who say, that's just preposterous. that you're going to go back to maybe paying for your trades. You know, there's going to have to be money in the system somehow for that function to be fulfilled. Yeah. it started over with the guy on a bike and Josh is absolutely dead on. It just took time for cash to get from one place to another. And it, a lot of things were done on trust and all the rest of it. And it doesn't need to be that way today, but there's a whole bunch of things that are made possible because of that is the way it is today. And we'll wait to see, you know, what it evolves to, but yeah, they'll have to be a new business model if they throw this away and they probably should. Yeah. Now.
1: All that said, with these practical applications that we think may be possible at some point, that brings some social benefits as well for the greater good, we'll call it. So one thing it may allow us to do is make it easier to borrow or lend money. And today, I don't know who's been in a bank and looking for a demand loan or something like that recently. It's not that easy to get money, Uh, especially here in Canada. It makes it really difficult to borrow money for something entrepreneurial, for example. If you want to lend get gets my house, yeah, sure, they'll give me as much money as I want, basically up to the value of the property. But if I actually want to borrow something to maybe take a little bit of a risk and start a business or something along those lines, it makes it very difficult today. This type of approach bringing two people together from different walks of earth in a decentralized way allows one to exchange perhaps some money for share in a business or something along those lines or a share of money for a bond or a lien or a mortgage or something like that, it may really facilitate some things like that can actually encourage economic growth. The other thing, we're talking about transaction costs with a lot of this. Transaction costs are a friction that just impede growth or transactions or anything like that. So if you eliminate this friction, if you eliminate a transaction costs, in theory, again, it, it should encourage more growth or more exchange of ideas or money or assets or something that that should, again, uh, lead to some social benefits. And then lastly, on a more global scale, there's 1.7 billion people in this world that do not have a bank of any way, shape, or form. And a lot of foreign developing countries that have very unstable financial systems. And this is one idea where i think the whole bitcoin thing or cryptocurrency gets really interesting why would i want to own my venezuelan currency which is just about worthless these days when i can perhaps point own something that's a lot more stable uh cryptocurrency or bitcoin or something like that that i can exchange for goods all over the world just on my device sounds pretty cool
0: well, and that's the argument that people are making it as a replacement for the, a, a more holistic store of wealth. Uh, now, having said that, I was, Plexi well, Catherine sent us an article not that long ago, I think it was Peru, where they're actually going back to shaving off pieces of gold to pay for haircuts. Because again, they've got locally, very. it's a very specific problem that they're having with the currency in, in different areas of South America, but Peru specifically. So yeah, at least right now in that situation, Bitcoin isn't what they're, they're, they're still back using gold. But Josh makes a very good point. If you're in an underdeveloped country and you're trying to transact and you don't have any of the backbone or infrastructure that are available in other parts of the world, this does become a little bit more interesting because you don't have the alternative that's available in lots of other parts of the world. And maybe it helps level the playing field a little bit. Maybe it is going to have a real uh, positive impact in that regard.
1: Yeah. Now, Colin, I know this is the but, right? This is the but. (laughs) And I know you've been waiting for this the whole time. (laughs) So I'm going to throw this one to you. This also creates some problems in your mind. What problems does it create? Having something that's entirely decentralized.
0: Well, see Josh, this is where I love your optimism and your youthful enthusiasm. When you remove friction, it allows all the goodness that's in people's hearts to come out and be unfettered and the goodness can be shared amongst the people and they could be frolicking and joyful and there's puppy dogs and rainbows and cinnamon farts and everybody's happy. Know who else is happy when you remove all the friction from the system and all the checks and balances, the dark forces are happy when you remove all the friction, it becomes much easier, no, not easy, but easier if all of these checks and balances and frictions are out in the system to perpetrate fraud on a mass level that's previously been not considered. And, and, and this is where we really get to the rub of this whole DeFi thing. It's if you assume the world's a good place and everybody's going to use this for the powers of good. It is unabashedly a positive thing, but we live in a dark world. Parts of it are dark and this will allow some things to be exported out of countries to other parts of the world much more easily than we've already seen it. Now, if you can buy a nuclear submarine with Bitcoin, is that really a story you want to walk into? Do you want to be walking around a room with a bunch of other people who are capable of doing this kind of thing? Now, there was a great movie that came out called catch me if you can. And it was the story of a con artist by the name of Frank Abignal. I was very fortunate to see him speak at a conference before that movie came out. And he is the most enthralling human being on the planet. I'm at a meeting where there's 500 people eating lunch and he's speaking. Everybody stopped eating. He was such a storyteller. He perpetrated crimes all over the world. He successfully passed himself off. As the head of pediatric medicine at a hospital in Texas, he passed himself off as a lawyer and he was a very successful person. And eventually the FBI caught him and he was famous for, for check fraud, wire fraud, if there was a system out there, he broke it. And and he, he got hired by the FBI to come in to the forces of good and create systems that people would have more trouble committing fraud. When interviewed recently, like in the last month or so and asked about the current state of the economy and talking about things like the cryptocurrency world. He said that you're a fool if you don't use your credit card for every transaction you ever do. He said 99.8% of every transaction he does is on his credit card. Why? It has all the safety mechanisms built into it. It has all the checks and balances built into it. If there's fraudulent activity on the card, it gets caught. I had that happen just today. My credit card got shut down before a transaction could go through because they didn't like how it looked. And they called me and said, Mr. White, is it okay? And I said, yes, it's okay. We complain about friction right until somebody is aggrieved. Then we want to put a check and balance in place to protect them. That's how the current system has evolved. We see a terrible fraud committed against a, uh, somebody who should not have been victimized by something. You go, oh my goodness, that's terrible. How do we protect that? If you've got a decentralized system where there's nothing between the two parties, I think you got a challenge. The whole point of that middle person is to provide some kind of assurances between the two parties that the transaction is valid from a, from an accounting perspective, blockchain, blockchain technology does that. But from a chicken dressed up as a cat perspective. It does less of a good job. And that's where there's going to be a little person held accountable. And I think it's an ongoing debate. I think it's a great debate. I think it's a conversation. And yes, I believe there's too much friction. We can reduce friction. Maybe the friction has gone too far, but I'm also willing to say, maybe I don't understand why all the friction is there because I'm constantly gobsmacked by what people are able to pull off and what they think of doing. So you know what? I'm willing to say, I don't understand why all that friction is there, but Maybe more friction is needed than what I give it credit for, because we have a social contract with each other that we want to stand up and protect people. We don't want to see people taken advantage of. And that's where a lot of this has come from. So, uh, I'm not sure how that interfaces with what's practical and possible with the new technology versus what society's expectations are going to be on being able to control these kind of things. there is that, the FBI actually watched a ransom payment go out. They watched the whole ransom payment go out through Bitcoin for one of the hostage takings on the malware thing. And even with the FBI right on it, they were only able to track down a fraction of the ransom money that had been paid out. So again, I th- the expectation right now is we can find the criminals. And if, if this system is, is going to make that harder or impossible, I think that's really going to be its challenge for widespread adoption.
1: Yeah, I think one of the concerns now, rightfully so, is that there's really no regulation of this space at all. And then the question becomes: okay, if you introduce some regulation, does that eliminate the the frictionless benefit that you've got? So, does it just put us back to square one? And I think number two: how do you actually regulate something where there's not really anything that exists? How do you regulate an intermediary where there is no intermediary? And I think there's different ideas being thrown around right now about different aspects of this transaction that you can can regulate but i think it's a work in progress and we've seen frauds we've seen thefts we've seen illicit activity be uh, transpiring on the these types of things there just the other day i saw that there was a transaction for over 500 million that went through where Somebody was buying a piece of art. And again, you don't really know who's who in these transactions, but when they actually dug into it a little bit, they found that it was just a circular transaction where the funnier, the, the money or the funds rather were coming back to the initial person. So this is like pretty much an artificial transaction that seemed to be manipulating the market. And that's one of the, the concerns today. And then you layer on top of that, some of the stuff's extremely volatile. I don't know if you saw this whole Squid Game coin, Colin, where the thing went up 230,000% in a week, and then it was zero in a day. So that type of thing is still rampant in the space. And that's a bit of an issue because anytime you have a lack of of trust or confidence in the system, then there are necessarily frictions that don't need to exist.
0: Well, and that's where there'll be an outcry from the public and you get a no cry from the public, there's going to be people that listen and say, I have a solution to that problem. And then it becomes political. And if elected, I will, or if you're a communist party, in order to protect my people, again, you're playing to the crowd. If the crowd is demanding something, there's going to be somebody who wants to put it in place and it's going to be considered a good idea at the time. Again, that this is a lot to me texting is brand new. Okay. That's the go voice to text. Oh wait, text to voice. And you're back to a phone call again. It, it, it's almost as if we're going to go down this road. I think we should go down this road to try to explore how to use some of this technology to remove some friction. And we're probably in some instances, I think right now remove too much friction and then we should start introducing it back and then we'll go too far. And then we'll be disappointed in ourselves that the next generation will come along and said, oh my God, this is terrible. And we'll start the wheel again.
1: So. Investment implications, or implications for asset management, or what people should actually be doing with their money, Colin. What do you think this means? This whole conversation, this idea about decentralized finance. What should people actually do about it? Should people start throwing money at some of this stuff and hope it
0: sticks? Oh, do you want me to use more words?
1: <laughs> Why don't I fill in some? <laughs> this is
0: this is a thought exercise, as far as I'm concerned, right now. And there's some really brave people. We're almost back to 1999 when the dot com. You know started to hit we counted on a whole bunch of people 360 networks there was a fiber optic cable that was being laid across the north atlantic that landed in halifax and there was a lot of initial early investors who put millions and millions of dollars on the table Well, they didn't quite get the cable finished in time and so they went bankrupt so somebody else went in and bought it for pennies on the dollar it wasn't worth the money it was spent to lay it but for pennies on the dollar yeah the next group that came in and bought it they did fine off it it became a business right so We almost count on the early adopters and we count on the people to take, take some extreme chances and lose money in order to get to a steady state where you get something that actually becomes investable. So I think we're at the early days of this, that you're going to see a lot of very speculative things put forward and nobody's going to be smart enough at this to figure out exactly which direction this is going to go. Let the speculation happen, but let all of that get flushed out of the system. And then in know you call it first mover advantage. Oh, come on. If there can be a first mover advantage to a new technology. There's not a first mover advantage to investing in retirement savings. So, no, don't get in this game.
1: Yeah. So, you said nobody really knows you know, what's going to pan out here, what's going to work out here. And that's 100% true in my mind. But that doesn't mean that people won't get rich off of it. Oh. And people will get rich off of this. And you hear, all the time about people getting rich off of it, people becoming billionaires with some of this stuff, some of these Dogecoin and Shiba Inu or Bitcoin or whatever it is. That doesn't make it a good investment. There are 7 billion people in this world. Some people will get rich doing dumb things. It's just a matter of numbers. Today, there are about 6,500 or more cryptocurrencies out there. I don't really like making guarantees, but I will guarantee you that not all of these are valuable. There's too many things here. May some of them turn out to be valuable at some point in the future? Yes, they may. And some people will make a lot of money, but I'm pretty sure that most of these are going to end up worthless, a lot more than end up valuable. So what that means for you, you probably shouldn't invest anything in this, at least not any substantial amount of money, Because it's throwing away, throw money down the hall. And it's probably not going to work out over the long run. And certainly not a way to build your retirement wealth. I don't think.
0: No, look, if you find this entertaining and you want to say you're in the game and you want to have a story to tell, Hey, knock yourself out. Just don't do it with any meaningful amount of money. And everybody's version of a meaningful amount is different. And to Josh's point, the people who who either temporarily The people who temporarily do well with this, and I stress that word because the people who tend to take the kinds of chances that become successful at this, the success becomes fleeting because they'll bet it on the next thing soon. But the people who are going to show up as having been very successful with this, they're going to get all kinds of attention because they're proud of themselves and they think they're smart and they're going to want to tell their story. We're going to want to listen to their story. Who doesn't want to listen to their story about somebody getting rich overnight without doing any work? That's a wonderful story. We all aspire to that. There's a huge audience for that. Don't be left on the side of the road with most of the other people that it's didn't work out for. No, this has been nothing but an interesting thought exercise and it's going to continue to be, but no, there's nothing here for anybody to make a decision on.
1: Decentralized finance, probably going to be a thing, probably going to be relevant for you at some point in the future. Whether you'll understand it or not is a different story. And what we can say with quite a lot of confidence is this is not something that you want to invest
0: any material amount of your wealth in. So be cautious. There you go. You get all the way to the end and we told you not to do anything. Thanks for sticking This information has been prepared by White LeBlanc Wealth Planners, who is a portfolio manager for iPrivate Wealth. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the portfolio manager only and do not necessarily reflect those of iPrivate Wealth Inc. iPrivate Wealth Inc. is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. iPrivate Wealth is a trademark and business name under which iPrivate Wealth Inc operates. Notice something. It seems there are a lot of people who would rather try to figure out their lives with an online calculator than air your finances to a human. Stop doing that. You need to talk to someone who can help direct you, tell you where to start with what you've got to make the biggest impact on your future. You can't figure that out at doihaveenoughcash.com, but you can figure it out by chatting with us. Call us. It'll be okay. You'll see. Although we endeavor to ensure its accuracy and completeness, we assume no responsibility for any reliance upon it. This should not be construed to be legal or tax advice, as every client's situation is different. This podcast has been prepared for information purposes only. The tax information provided in this podcast is general in nature, and each client should consult with their own tax advisor, accountant, and lawyer before pursuing any strategy described herein, as each client's individual circumstances are unique. We have endeavored to ensure the accuracy of the information provided at the time that it was written. However, should the information in this podcast be incorrect or incomplete, or should the law or its interpretation change after the date of this document, the advice provided may be incorrect or inappropriate. There should be no expectation that the information will be updated, supplemented or revised, whether as a result of new information, changing circumstances, future events or otherwise. We are not responsible for errors contained in this podcast or to anyone who relies on the information contained in this podcast. Please consult your own legal and tax advisor.